When Don Wallace and his wife decided to buy an old house on an island they visited off the coast of Brittany, little did they expect that it would turn into an adventure that would redefine their lives. He's written The French House about the ruined maison they bought and about how, over time, the local villagers helped them restore both the house and their life as a family. Don, welcome to Travel with Rick Steves. Thank you, Rick. Now, you have had quite a story. Were you inspired by a, a year in Provence or Under the Tuscan Sun when you decided to get your fixer-upper 30-some years ago? Well, I'm happy to say we actually got there before them. That's um, right. That's 30 years ago. A year in Provence was 1991. Ha. It was my mother's inspiration after we bought the house. So you were before the trend, but you were a little slower than them because it took you a long time to get it all put together. The thing about those wonderful books, and they are very good, is those people never seem to lack for money. And in our case, we had to scrimp and save, and my wife and I, we had to go out and kind of drum up extra work we moonlighted in order to finish the house, and it did take a full seven years before we could spend the night under the roof. So you got it livable over the course of seven years, visiting from the United States and scrimping and saving. You were running around in Europe with your wife looking for the place. What was it about Belle Isle? Uh, and for people who don't know Belle Isle, tiny remote island 10 miles off the coast of Brittany, in the Bay of Biscay, on the far west of France. Brittany is, is not even your classic French culture. It's Celtic culture. It's about the most rugged part of France I can imagine, and it's just, in a stark way, quite beautiful. But uh, lots of tiny villages, sort of dominated by the wind and the sea and the birds. Describe Belle Isle to us and why it stole your heart. Well, you know, it was a matter of luck. We were actually living in a cave in Santorini. My wife and I thought we were going to be writers abroad, and... Um, we didn't realize, because we were in our 20s, that you actually have to sort of have a publication record to send in things okay. and have the New Yorker acclaim you and have books come out. So we ended up in a cave, literally a nice whitewashed cave in Santorini, but it was cold. And the time came to go to our next spot, and we contacted my wife's professor abroad, and she said, you guys sound like you're in pretty bad shape. You need to go have some R&R. And we thought this was Paris. And she said, you should go to my tiny island. And so we jumped from Santorini in the dead of winter to Belle Isle in the dead of winter. And I think what drew us was simply the idea of going so far out that we would lose ourselves. And after we lost ourselves, maybe we'd find ourselves. Now, this island is tiny. It's got no cities. It's just got like lots of villages. You write that each village has a cow and each village has a mystery. What do you mean by that? It really is a special and mysterious kind of place that it's only 10 miles long. And yet we know people at one end of the island who never visit the other end. Huh. There are people who believe they're witches at that south end. And for ourselves, each village has a personality. And in the European style, all the houses are grouped together. Unlike an American farm where things are sort of separated. You know, that out. is very good, and a lot of people don't. It's so simple, but a lot of people don't put their finger on that idea that you have a farm hamlet where a bunch of farmhouses are together, and their land then is all around that area, but the, the community comes together in a little hamlet. That's right. We share walls, which is something you know, in an apartment building you would do, but our house actually shares walls. So does that neighbors. give you a more fundamental communal spirit rather than the rugged individualism of a farm country in America? In Belle-Ile, you have a certain amount of cooperation, but also this is France, and the rules and the unwritten codes of a village go back as much as four or 500 years. 
And we had to step very softly. We had to keep our heads down. And we were not really accepted for three or four years. Hmm. And what made the breakthrough was simply that they realized the house that we had bought belonged to a very esteemed woman, Jani. And they realized we were going to restore it in the style, the Breton style of Jani, that we weren't going to become the Americans with their solid gold bathtub. Nice. That probably won you a place in their hearts. You write a beautiful metaphor about how the island breathes with the tides. Explain that. Well, you know, it's an island that has many fjords that cut deep into it. And so even though it it has quilted farmlands, beautiful lands that in fact supply a lot of the food that we eat there, you have the ocean breathing up into your valley, into your house. We're maybe 20 minutes by foot from the ocean. We get ocean fogs. We hear the waves. And when we hear the waves, uh, my wife is from Hawaii and she's a surfer. And we said, after about seven years, we said, we'd better bring a surfboard over here. So she hears the waves in the morning and she goes, oh, we better go down and go surfing. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Don Wallace and Don's book is called The French House, talking about his 30-year experience buying a fixer-upper on a remote island off the west coast of France, Belle Isle, and uh, all he learned from becoming a temporary local there. Don, you talk, we were talking about the island breathes with the tides. You also talk about the bruises that come with a storm. What are the bruises that a storm can bring an island? Belleville sits in the Bay of Biscay, which is one of the most treacherous pieces of water in the world. It also meets the Atlantic Ocean. And when the storms come in, these Force 10 storms, they just blow over the whole island. They can knock over a stand of trees. They can fill a large valley with spindrift taller than your head, Hmm. which is like walking into a, a giant bubble bath. So you have to really enjoy that weather. You know, of course, a lot of us really do love to stick our noses into a storm. So what is spindrift? Spindrift is spume. It's, is it the foam? It's the foam of the sea. The and it's, foam of it's a kind sea of blown storm. and quilted. And imagine it's six feet high. Six feet. Can you walk through it? Yeah. It becomes a very magical, surreal thing because the sunlight is blowing through it and it's lit up like a crystal cavern. That is reason enough right there to go to Belle Isle and wait for a storm. Yes, and I will say that the French really do love the sublime natural experience. They've been coming out here since the 1880s, not to build on it, not to develop it, but to um, really stick their noses into the wind. Hmm. And that's something you can really admire about France. Um, They did not turn this place into a tourist center like the south of France. To stick their noses into the wind. I had a poetry teacher in high school that talked about eating the wind, and the French stick their noses into the wind. And one way or another when you're traveling... You need to get yourself in the wind and then actually enjoy it. We're talking with Don Wallace. His book is The French House. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And Phyllis is calling us from DeMott in Indiana. Phyllis, thanks for your call. Hi, thanks for taking my call. The question I have, is it still possible to buy fixer-upper houses without paying a fortune over there? I mean, Don, would you suggest someone doing that? Well, you know, of course... I think it always comes down to the shape your dreams are in. And if you really want to do something, you should go ahead and explore it. On Belle Isle, it's a small island. And I think when we got into it, the last of the fixer-uppers were were moving into the hands of the Parisians for the most part. You can find houses, though, to buy. And there are some that are tucked in and some apartments in the very small town, Le Palais. So it is possible and people do it. The development is regulated, which makes it tougher. The prices would be, I think, somewhere around 
300 to 500,000 euros. So you can see it's not a cheap experience. But on the other hand, all up in Brittany, heading north, are other little valleys and towns. And if they're on the mainland, they still feel like an island because they're very, very rugged. And I would say you could find a very nice thing there. There are villages, uh, Phyllis, all over France that are in desperate need of inhabitants as people are drawn to the big cities for, you know, the razzle-dazzle and the employment. I think they're called SOS towns, and uh, the government is actually subsidizing the one little uh, shop or the, the post office or the, the one little restaurant to keep it some sort of commerce there. And uh, I would imagine there's houses there that could be had for a song. Do you know anything about those, Don? You're absolutely right about the depopulation of the provinces, which I think started in World War I with the tremendous slaughter of the wars. You can go into the, um, the Midi section, mm-hmm. and I understand there are whole villages that are up there. And you can buy yourself a large um, chateau. It's just not going to be on a beautiful island or, or in the Dordogne River Valley or something like that. But if you can go for it's the list. It's going to be a little, I have a feeling the wind blows and it gets cold in the winter. Mm-hmm. You know, we've done some hiking all around France, and um, it's a really challenging Mm-hmm. environment. I think that's why the French are so tough and why they're such great outdoorsmen in their own right. Yeah. Phyllis, thanks for your call. Thank, Thank you, you, Phyllis. Don, you've been at this for so long now, you've seen changes happening. And it was seven years before you could even, you know, actually get the house uh, weatherproof and so on. When you buy something like this, over the years, the villagers age, the young people move out, developers come in, roads are built. Uh, I think you had to deal with an offshore oil spill. And expats like you move in and change the character. What have you seen that's been a disappointment in the last couple of decades over the idyllic place that you bought, and and what are your thoughts about that? I suppose it always comes down to more people. I mean, if you're in a beautiful place, whether it's Hawaii or Southern California or Belial, the more people who come, the more they put wear on the land and on the kind of on the relationship, so people get frayed. And I would say Belial has not had that happen. Mm-hmm for some unique reasons, and one is that a lot of people bicycle. There aren't fleets of rental cars if you arrive on the ferry boat. It has an unbelievably softening effect on tourism. But I would say the disappointment that we see is that as people try to squeeze another house into the allotted land, and it's well-regulated, they make these compromises, and they get pretty kitschy. It's still a Breton house, but it looks like a sort of miniature squeezed Breton house. Hmm. And then they try and rent them out and extort the maximum rent to people. It sort of creates a tourism vicious syndrome of the more you love it, the more you wear it down. But again, with Bill Eel, strong regulation, federal regulation has kept it from being eroded. Well, to give you an idea of the the humble economy in the island, you wrote beautifully about the mobile markets. Apparently, some towns are so small they don't even have a fixed market, but uh, once a week a truck will come in with groceries. Uh, Tell me how that works. I think there are only five towns that have markets. There are two supermarkets, which a French supermarket, by the way, is sort of a place of delicacies. But the mobile truck comes uh, every Thursday in our village, Mm -hmm. and you can place advance orders. You can say, I usually have three uh, loaves of bread, and uh, I'd like some charcuterie, and bring me one of those Belle-Ile goat cheeses, the chevre. And, oh, yeah, I'd like some pork chops and some local lamb chops. Oh, that's good. So it's like the, the milkman in our youths when we remembered. The milkman knows yeah. that we want four bottles of this and two bottles of that. So this is just general groceries that come in every Thursday, and he'll know how much bread that Don and his family want. Yeah, it's that kind of environment for the older people. I could see myself growing old in Bill Hill because they really have a communal spirit, and in a village mm-hmm. people take care of each other, nice. and then here comes your van with your food. 
Nicole's on the phone in Dallas, Texas. Nicole, thanks for your call. Hi there. I've never been to Belial, but I would like to go because it's part of my family history. I am a Cajun, and um, my family, the LeBlancs, is actually the biggest Acadian family and part of the odyssey of our family after the expulsion in 1755, um, the British put all the Acadians on boats and sent them to the American colonies. Mine had the misfortune of being on the boat to Virginia and were not allowed to get off the boat. So then they were shipped back to England, to Liverpool, and held, and I'm not quite sure if they were in a prison or an Acadian ghetto in Liverpool. But with the Treaty of Paris at the end of the Seven Years' War or the French and Indian War, they went to Belle-Ile on there. Uh, France got it back from Britain, and they sent these Acadians over to settle it. And they were all farmers and fur trappers, and apparently um, they weren't too crazy about it. They stayed there for not even 10 years before they went back to Poitou and then on to Louisiana. And in pictures, it doesn't really look like a place where there would be a lot of farming and fur trapping. So I was wondering about those types of things on the island. Your family is Acadian. What does that mean? Acadians were um, French settlers that were recruited in the early 17th century to go and settle French territory in Nova Scotia. So, Don, do you know about this Acadian connection with oh. Belle This is a very wonderful summary that you just gave, and indeed it's, it's really a very large part of Belle culture. One of the things that is interesting is that when the 78 Acadian families arrived in the Grand Derangement, as it was called, the government of France didn't really want them on the mainland because they felt the Acadians had not shown sufficient enthusiasm for fighting the English during the war. So what they did was they installed them in starter farms all over the island where there weren't farmland. They built a house in a certain style And it's the Breton style that what we now think of as the Belle-Ile style. The defining characteristic is there's no rear window, so that if the English are attacking, you can't escape. Each of these Acadian families was given a musket and was told if the English came, you have to fight until you get slaughtered. That's just one of the little details of Mm. the the Acadian thing there. The other thing is Cajun culture and Belle-Ile culture are very similar. They have the same music. They have the um, bagpipe played with a goat sack. Mm. They have the uh, accordion, and they do the the two-step at their dances. Mm. You can go to Louisiana, which I have, and you can go to a Fesnaz on Belle-Ile, and you can hear sort of that Raging Cajun music. And they, they have, of course, the same taste in crepes and galettes and sausages. It's really quite a contribution to the culture It's there. important for people to recognize the widespreadness and the deep roots of Celtic culture in Europe. And a lot of these societies didn't get their own country, but You've got uh, Galicia in northwest Spain, which is related to Ireland. And, of course, you've got Cornwall in the southwest of England, which is Celtic. And you've got Brittany in the west of France and and your home island, Belle-Ile, all with the same kind of music and a lot of the same taste in food and and, uh, dance and and so on. Nicole, it sounds like you need to go to Belle-Ile. I do. It's one of the few places in my family history that I have not visited and I had a Cajun band play at my wedding, so you know I'm going to be right. dancing when I get there. Well, I've been there, and it's a beautiful island. It's a little bit of a trek to get out there, but once you get there, you're very glad you went. So I look forward to it. Thanks for the call, Nicole. Thank you, Nicole. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking with Don Wallace. His book is The French House, which talks about his experience buying a fixer-upper on the very west tip of France on a little island. 
And Don, you wrote in your book that you thought you were restoring a ruined farmhouse, but ended up restoring your family. Boy, that's quite a weighty statement. Uh, Let's just finish by having you explain to us how this really had an impact on your family as well as your travel dreams. Well, when we bought it, we were working entry-level jobs, and my wife and I, we didn't really think through the uh, implication. Then she got pregnant right after we bought it. And what this did was it put us in the hole financially, made us really think about where we were going with our lives. We were 32 We were writers. We were, you know, romantic, and we didn't really think about 401ks, about retirement, about even buying a house. So with Belial, we had to begin working, working overtime, moonlighting, getting better at what we were doing. And we had to grow up a little. And it was at the same time we were growing up with this romantic anchor in our lives, Belial. And that really fed us in our souls. And so we were able to kind of hang on to our dreams. And we've both stayed being writers. We both have written uh, fiction and nonfiction and published books. And our son, he got to grow up living a wild, wild life on an island off the coast of Brittany. And when he came back to New York City and went to his little public school, he looked like a savage. And in some way, that pleases me because Mindy and I both, uh, we sort of have a wild heart. And this island allowed us to sort of construct a full life around the wildness that's inside of us. Wow. I don't know. I just love the idea of you guys hanging out in a cave in Santorini, ending up in a fixer-upper on the west coast of France and raising a child who is like a wild creature and that makes you feel swell with pride. You know, this is an example of how you can turn your travel dreams into a life-changing experience. And you've written this book with a real passion for sharing what happened inside of you and your family as well as how you fixed up this house. And it's just a fascinating book. Don Wallace, thanks so much for joining us, and and best wishes as you learn more from the wisdom of villagers on Belle Isle. Thank you, Rick. Rick Steves teaches smart travel to France and beyond. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Paris's top sites, a monthly travel newsletter, and a world of information to help you turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. To gear up for your next French adventure, Begin your trip at ricksteves.com.